Welcome back to Turf Show Times, colon, the podcast. I'm Kenneth Arthur. With me, as always, is J.B. Scott. We're going to be talking about the Los Angeles Rams. It's been about a week since our last podcast. I know for those of you who follow the show, you're probably dying without us because it really is the best show about football and the Rams uh, with the best opinions and the smartest people. So you couldn't really do any than this so you've been dying to find out what we think about Sean McVay and his return and the Rams and the coaching changes and all that so congratulations on listening to Turf Show Times the podcast JB let's start right away right off the bat Sean McVay another year do you expect this to be his last year I know a lot of people do just expect expressed frustration with um you know this being to them maybe like an annual issue like feeling like this is the uh, Brett Favre retirement over and over again and and I think people are already looking ahead and thinking I can't go through this every year uh do you at least expect us to go through this again next year I mean it's certainly possible and whenever you look at the coaching staffs that he surrounded himself in the past with Sean McVay uh Whenever it's functioning at its best, that's really you haven't heard a lot of these burnout talks happening. But uh, last year, the staff got picked over. You lost Kevin O'Connell. You lost Wes Phillips uh, just all across the board. You lost all these rising stars in the coaching ranks. Uh, It happens year after year. And really, these next coming days as McVeigh assembles his staff is going to be very important. And we got to put a lot of stock behind these hires and see what the big picture is uh, for the team, because it's on the Rams and the coach to build a sustainable culture where maybe McVay doesn't have to be the singular focus of all these moves where uh, maybe there's people in the building that aren't just yes men, but are challenging him to do new things, be the best version of himself that can carry their own weight individually. So in a lot of ways, I'm looking at McVay making these hires as it's almost like he's a fortune 500 CEO instead of a head coach. And these decisions transcend football and sports it's really more of a business and leadership type decision that he has to make. And it's going to be interesting to watch this unfold. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, yeah, watching it unfold um, reports on what day is today? Wednesday uh, reports on Wait, Look, when the season ends, I don't know what day it is, uh, especially if, yeah, the Rams are out of it, but Sean McVay parting with, I'm reading a tweet here from Jordan Rodrigue, uh, already last week, parting with um, special teams coach Joe DeCamillis, offensive line coach Kevin Carberry, DB's coach Jonathan Cooley, assistant DL coach Skylar Jones, defensive assistant Lance Schulters, um, and it looks like uh, at least maybe a, a couple more as I'm looking at it now. Uh, but with all the that news, um, you know, these are coaches that have been brought in, a lot of them in the last couple of years, Kevin Carberry, Joe D. Camillus, trying to get things reset um, with the offensive line, special teams. Those are probably 
you know, two of the most scrutinized coaching assistants on any staff, you know, people are always blaming the offensive line coach. If the offensive line isn't good because they don't know how to really blame the offensive line, men. you know, it's like, we're just kind of going off of someone else's opinions when we judge offensive linemen most of the time. So if it's as bad as things were for the Rams, which a lot of that you would think attributed to injuries, um, you kind of look at Kevin Carberry uh, and before him, Aaron Cromer. And, and, you know, there were a lot of, uh, you know, there's always talk about the offensive line coach on just about any team. And then special teams, sort of a similar deal. And, you know, you had a very famous, well-regarded, respected John Fassel uh, prior to that. And then uh, a one-year uh, transition special teams coach. Um, and and what what are your thoughts on all these coaching changes? One that um, maybe uh, any of them that concern you, any of them that uh, make you think that was a good decision? Yeah, I think D. Camillus is probably the biggest surprise just because if McVay's had an Achilles heel in the hiring decisions he's made over the years, it's probably on special teams. And, you know, that year that Fossil walked and went to Dallas, that's the year they also decided to replace Wade Phillips with Brandon Staley. So one of those hires worked out much better than the other. And, you know, you kind of, you had John Bonamego for a year and you were paying him so much money. You had to relegate him to like a consultant type role with the team and you couldn't get rid of him. And you stumbled into John D. Camillus, who's been, uh, you know, a long-term special teams coordinator in the NFL. Uh, he helped you bring in Matt Gay and Brandon Powell and those types of players. So uh, his contributions weren't zero. He's an important part of this team. Uh, he's a he's a leader in that regard. And another surprising thing is you, you mentioned Aaron Cromer, and then you make the the transition to this offensive line coach Kevin Carberry, and now you're moving on. Was I think the reason you move on from Cromer is because you wanted to diversify beyond the wide zone running scheme. And you know Cromer moved on to Buffalo. He's doing pretty well for himself. Really helped revamp revamp the Bills offensive line. But, you know, Carberry really hasn't worked out where this often this running game has really changed in a dynamic way. Uh, they've that was one of the you know hallmarks of last offseason was that Sean McVay wanted to focus singularly on that and bring that into next season. And that was a really weak link up until the last month of the season. And maybe you give Thomas Brown more credit for that last year than Kevin Carberry because he really you know worked one on one with Cam Akers and changed that running game in a big way. So I think it's a big surprise. I'm reading Albert Breer's mailbag on Sports Illustrated, and he throws out the name Bill Callahan, a long-term off- offensive line coach in the NFL. I think that would be a home run hire if Sean McVay able to pull him. He was with the Browns a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I just uh, recently watched a video on YouTube about um, the biggest NFL Super Bowl conspiracies uh, or conspiracy theories and did the was this game fixed and all that, and Bill Callahan – is um, one of the three that they mentioned uh, in his one Super Bowl appearance with the Raiders after taking over for John Gruden. Um, Didn't really bear any fruit, I don't think. Uh, Didn't really make sense for Bill Callahan to want to lose a Super Bowl um, when he's clearly not a head coach, you know, and he might be if he had won a Super Bowl. But uh, definitely always well-respected and highly respected as an offensive line coach. And, um, you know, it's, it's like I said, I think, uh, it's all about the players and you got to have good players. And, uh, there's only so much you can do with the players that you have 
the Rams just making wholesale, you know, Sean McVay is sticking around and almost nobody else, you know, it's like wholesale changes practically everywhere. I think there is a good chance that Raheem Morris could get hired as a head coach because when you look around at the NFL openings, I wrote about this on Wednesday. See, I almost forgot the day again, but I wrote about, and it's today. I wrote about this today saying, who cares about these jobs? So it's like, you know, Raheem Morris, he he didn't have um, the strongest uh, three years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, he hasn't gotten really that close since, you know, even his interim job with the Falcons. It's just like, yeah, he was a perfect, he was in a perfect situation to be an interim head coach for the Falcons that year, but, you know, hasn't really gotten that close. And if the Colts hire him, you know, it could just be good timing. Um, and then the Rams would have a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. And we've just mentioned, you know, they got to get an offensive line coach. They got to get a running backs coach, you know, Thomas Brown, maybe he, even if he doesn't get a head coaching job, maybe someone will hire Thomas Brown as an offensive coordinator if the Rams don't do it. So, you know, we're going to be talking about eight to 12 different assistant coaches, and that's a lot of people to teach how you do things and to and to learn how they do things and to start changing it up again. Um, it's nothing new to the Rams who have been un- undergoing big coaching and staff changes really since 2018, you know, after McVay's first season. So uh, it's a normal thing, but that could also be part of the, the issue, you know, that uh, impacted. And you mentioned some of those schematic changes and personality changes and everything that goes into that. So it's not small news by any means, uh, just because it's not Sean McVay or um, Aaron Donald or any of those kind of uh, names, but it is um, definitely – uh, going to impact the the 2023 Rams. I, I feel like as soon as the season ended and a couple weeks passed and you sort of looked at the rest of the NFC and see who the powerhouses are, and then you see like the uncertain situations at, for uh, certain teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers who had really bad seasons similar to the Rams, um, JB, I'd feel like I'm starting to get optimistic that the Rams can make it back to the playoffs for sure. And uh, who knows what could happen because a lot of these players that they're they're talking about having next season, definitely Matthew Stafford. I would assume Cooper Cup um, and Bobby Wagner uh, and and maybe Jalen Ramsey and and we'll see about Aaron Donald and so on and so forth. Um, I'm getting a little bit more optimistic. What about you? Yeah, there's a high degree of uncertainty in the NFC conference, but especially in your own division, even where what are the 49ers going to do a quarterback? And we know that's one of the best overall rosters in all of football, but uh, how long can Brock Purdy keep up this this high level performance? Do they talk themselves into going back to the volatile Trey Lance? Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo probably isn't sticking around after this year. So, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan, his scheme works so well in the opening round of the playoffs. And really, you know, Brock Purdy almost, you know, almost every time he was throwing the ball downfield, his receiver was open by two or three steps. And um, that's that's a hallmark of the Sean McVay Shanahan system, of course. But whenever things get tighter and the windows get smaller, uh, can you really rely on Purdy to, to be that consistent level player for you? And can, do you talk yourself into investing in him in next year, maybe beyond? So that's something that the fate of the franchise and the division it really rests on. 
And, you know, Seattle has big questions at quarterback, too. You assume they're going to bring back Geno Smith, but they have that high pick from the Broncos. Maybe they draft a rookie, and that can really you – know, are they contenders next year with the rookie quarterback? Or do they maybe let him sit on the bench for a year behind Geno, and they're, they're still formidable next year, too, even though, you know, they were had hot and cold stretches at times. And, you know, who really knows what the direction of the Cardinals is, hap- is going? Um, they have hired a GM. They still don't have a head coach. Kyler Murray might not be ready for the start of next season. So it's really hard to expect them to contend next year, probably. And things are really looking good. There's a void of, you know, complete dominant in certain team. And the Rams can certainly fill that pretty quickly. Someone's got to do it. I mean, uh, you know, it's like, I really, I've always been, you know, I, I see other people the way they look at quarterbacks or they look at a team or they look at the box scores. They just look at wins and losses and whatever. Brock Purdy, you know, fun story. Good for him. Everything that I see is no different than what I saw in say Jimmy Garoppolo or, you know, this will piss some people off. Jared Goff, you know, if you're in a great situation, you can look really good. And so I think Brock Purdy is in a great situation. I think uh, I know that, you know, his, his receivers and George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey are getting ridiculously wide open. They make great plays after the catch. Um, and that is a problem because the 49ers, you know, can do that. And I would expect them to be able to do that again next season. But I don't see Brock Purdy as a problem. And, you know, I still think that uh, Trey Lance is um, the guy that they really believe in and want to believe in and have hope for um, and think like that's a guy that can really take them to the next level and maybe elevate that position in a way that uh, Brock Purdy can't maybe, you know, Purdy makes some great plays. He extends plays. He, he, he finds ways um, to, and when we see other guys who just can't even find open wide receivers when they're, when they are wide open. So, you know, I don't want to put down Brock Purdy, but I do think like as the 49ers are wont to do, you just can't, you just don't know if they'll be six and 11 next season because we've seen that happen. And, and these players like Debo Samuel and George Kittle um, and some of their defensive stars are fragile, you know, like most NFL players, maybe more so with a, a guy like Debo Samuel who takes so many hard hits and, and missed more time this season. Um, so that's just one NFC West opponent. The Seahawks had a terrible defense. I think Geno Smith, is at best, you know, the 20th best quarterback in the NFL. And if, if, but he's in a position that so rarely quarterbacks are in, which he's about to become a free agent. So the Seahawks are in a very tough position where they have to decide if they're going to use all of their cap space on a franchise tag or give him a contract extension or let him go and, uh, and spin, you know, spin the deep wheel again, you know? Um, so, so that's a very interesting situation where I could see the Seahawks falling from nine and eight to five and 12 by next year. I mean, if the Rams can go from winning the Super Bowl to being five and 12, certainly I think the Seahawks can do it. And then, you know, and then the Cardinals are the Cardinals. So, uh, I, I really don't see any of these open positions for head coaches, including the, you know, speaking of the Cardinals, like you have to take over a below average roster, maybe a bad roster with an overpaid quarterback who is over, you know, over gets injured too often 
and hasn't proven himself. You know, he's a very exciting player, but now you have to figure out how to find that that in-between between doing what he does well and getting him to stop the, doing the things that he doesn't do well. And I don't know if Kyler can do that. I don't know if he can take advice and uh, change who he is. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the Cardinals um, head coaching opening and, and whether or not, you know, because this was a team that went 11 and 6 a year ago. Um, do you think that they have any chance to rebound? Well, you mentioned it's a bad roster, but it's also kind of an old roster. And you look at, you know, in the secondary and they are losing J.J. Watt to retirement, but you've also lost Chandler Jones and Hassan Reddick, you know, not too long before that. So you've made maybe some picks at middle linebacker uh, in safety, Isaiah Simmons, and then Zayvon Collins the next year that haven't quite worked out or you're not really getting the the dividends you expected at a, such a high pick and maybe Buda Baker and uh, you know, Murphy, Byron Murphy are coming up towards big contracts. You have to make sure you have to decide if they want to stick around long term. But even that offensive line is pretty bad. They were as almost injury riddled as the Rams at times this this season. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins probably doesn't want to go through a rebuild. And, you know, whenever you lose someone like Christian Kirk, he's not a good number one. He's number two that last year. But, you know, Rondale Moore, if if Hopkins isn't gone, is gone, isn't the right answer there either. So, uh, where do you even go? And you know, tight end Zach Ertz, um, he's not going to be around for too much longer either. So, uh, like, they just, it's a complete overhaul rebuild. They probably need to tear it down to the studs, accumulate as much draft capital as they can out of the stars that are still around, and, you know, find a coach that's you're probably not going to be around by the time they're actually rebuilt and good. So, you, you're going to have to hire someone to t- just really take the lumps for two years. I really think so, you know, and I think um, the reason that Sean Payton has been so popular, you know, we're talking about Texans would do anything for him. The Panthers would do anything for him. The Broncos would do anything for him. I'm sure the Cardinals would do anything for him, which is kind of shocking because, I mean, Sean Payton, if he had kept his job with the Saints this year, he might have been on the hot seat. He might have been fired. I mean, there was not enough to get the the Saints anywhere this year. So he really played the timing perfectly to step away, to let Dennis Allen take the, you know, the heat for what was a pretty crappy uh, roster at at some key positions, some really great players at other positions. But with Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston just feeling like there's no way, you know, at best you're going to be the Bucs and make the playoffs at eight and nine or nine and eight. And I just don't think that he was going to stick around for that. And you can just kind of gloss over his his seven and nine seasons, you know, uh, his kind of underachieving in the playoffs with Drew Brees and and forget, forget that. But he's so popular because I just don't think you've got five jobs that nobody wants. And he's the one guy that's willing to talk to everybody that everybody kind of wants to talk to. Um, but, you know, if Sean Payton goes to the Cardinals, for example, I mean, it's the only person who you would think um, you would turn over the roster and say, what do you want to do with the roster? What do you want to do with this personnel? But the Cardinals just hired a new GM. So I don't think that that's a Sean Payton job because the the GM wants to do what the GM wants to do. It's his GM job. You know, this is his opportunity to be a GM. That's why I think it would be more sensible for Sean Payton to go to the Texans or the Broncos where those GMs are already on the outs. Um, or the Panthers. So I would expect maybe Sean Payton to, to go to one of those jobs, but I probably would say that the better bet 
is if you're anything at all, if you're an attractive head coaching candidate, you're not taking any of these jobs because next year the Rams could be open. The Packers could be open. The Seahawks could be open. Um, some of the better jobs out there, uh, the Chargers could be open. You might see the Cowboys and, and other teams be like, yeah, we underachieved or this coach is retiring, you know? So I would say that there's not going to be a really big head coaching hire here unless a team, uh, you might see a big name uh, like Sean Payton, uh, which then requires a trade. But I would be surprised if even D'Amico Ryan's leave as the 49ers because he's so popular. Dan Quinn's so popular that they might as well just um, see what happens next year because there's no forgiveness for, for a, a bad football team with a bad head coach, you know, that only lasts a couple of years. So I, I that's how I see it. Do you have any sort of, um, would you provide any counter argument to Sean Payton's, uh, you know, as, as kind of maybe like a little overrated right now? Not exactly. I mean, the prospects aren't good and, there might be more big names out there than there are jobs. And especially when you throw, throw out people like Frank Reich, too, uh, who has moved on from the Colts. But your days are numbered if you don't find a quarterback. And that's the bottom line. So you might be a team like the Texans that you're going to draft a quarterback high. And that's really a lottery type you know, pick that you're making. You're throwing darts. And the, if the Panthers don't figure out the quarterback position, it doesn't matter that they have Brian Burns and all these in a pretty good defense to build around or, you know, maybe some good receiving talent. Uh, that doesn't matter at the end of the day if you don't get the signal caller right. Um, but I do think if Sean Payton doesn't get, you know, the Broncos job or one of these higher profile ones, I don't really view the Texans as that in that poor of a light because they've already gone through the rebuild. They've already torn it down. They have the draft capital from the Browns. Uh, they have, you know, a lot of salary cap space where um, I think you know, you're ready to plug and play. You're ready to start building up. You don't have to tear down anymore. And you have to find star players, and that's a tough deal. But uh, really, in a lot of ways, you can make it what, exactly as you crave and you know, design it in, at your own will. And I think that's pretty attractive for someone like Sean Payton to come and he can be the architect, do it his way. And you're not have to worry about you know, getting rid of players that are good right now but won't be good in two years when you're ready for them. Yeah, I mean, if I had to, you know, if I had to connect a dot, I would say if I'm Sean Payton, and, you know, he, he interviewed with the Texans this week. If I'm Sean Payton, I'm talking to the owner. I'm not talking to the GM. I'm talking directly to Cal McNair, the owner. I'm saying, hey, get out of my way. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to have to prove anything to you. I don't want to run something by you. If you want me, then you get me. And this is what I want to do with the team. I don't want to have to run things by Nick Castorio. You might as well just demote him right now because he – chose Derek Stingley over Sauce Gardner in the draft last year. He chose Kenyon Green with a top 15 pick. I'm not going to let him use the number two pick and the other top 15 pick on whoever he wants to use this year. Those are my picks. You're not going to trade him to the Saints. I think in that case, the, the Texans have to offer a second round pick. And, you know, it's an early second round pick, so not bad. And I would say, like, if this is what you want, then that's what I get. I want to trade for Michael Thomas from the Saints, I want to get Michael Thomas and we're going to try and start to put some better team, some players around here right now. If I want to trade Derek Stingley, I get to trade Derek Stingley. You know, it's like, that's to me, because you, you, you're right that the Texans there, they've got some draft capital, but they waste it. They, they're not a good team and they have a, they've just got a 
such a shitty reputation. I don't want to have to be associated with that. We're now my future and my reputation and my resume is tainted because now I have to do things for an organization that consistently tanks and, and, and doesn't have any uh, respect, basically. I mean, who, who can respect the Texans um, after these last three, four years? Nobody wants to seemingly play there. They forced their way out. You know, Deshaun Watson was uh, – before all of the mess that happened with Sean Watson, let's not forget, he was asking to get traded after signing uh, a major contract. He was like, I'm not going to be a part of this. And that's from Deshaun Watson, you know? So it's like from him to Dwayne Brown to JV and Clowney. I mean, even the fact that JJ Watt couldn't finish the hall of fame career with one team. And it's kind of like just points to, you know, Deandre Hopkins. I mean, they couldn't even keep a player. So that to me is where I put the, the Texans almost on that flip side of saying, yes, they could be the most attractive destination, but if you paint it in another light, they could be the least because if they're the least respected organization in the entire NFL, don't, they'll never get better. And so if I'm Sean Payton and I'm going, if you want me then you get me and I get to do whatever I want, what are your thoughts there? I mean, it's hard to disagree. There's just some situations around the NFL that, you know, there's no winning outcomes. And, you know, the Browns, they're just really cursed. It doesn't matter who they hire, who they draft, who they acquire. Uh, they just have never been a winning franchise. And if you are the person that turns around the Houston Texans, who, you know, was a new installment franchise, right? Uh, you know, the expansion team, you could be a legend in that regard. Immediately be one of the best head coaches in franchise history just after a few years of being winning. So I think that's maybe appealing to someone if you have a big ego like Sean Payton, perhaps. But um, yeah, I mean, definitely you got to like if there's just tough situations around uh, and, you know, you're probably running out of options, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it just uh, is a fascinating thought to me. That's why I wrote about the the coach openings, just because it is a fascinating uh, time. You know, it's a fascinating time in the NFL with the coaching carousel or excuse me, the quarterback carousel which I think is going to, you know, it it spun so hard last year. I think it's going to spin even harder this year. I think we saw surprise trades for Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, so on and so forth in the offseason. I think we're going to see more of that. You know, I think we're just going to – there's going to be so much change in the NFC, and I think that benefits the Rams because they don't have to. They don't have to change, you know. Matthew Stafford is signed for the next – four years, but really he signed for the next two, right? So it's like, you know, Matthew Stafford's your guy. I think the Rams, they just have to, more than anything else, they cannot rely on on Joseph Nopoon to be the left tackle because he's not reliable. They cannot really even rely on A.J. Jackson. I mean, you've got the, the confidence to know that maybe you've got two, but even having two this past year left you with Ty Niseki. So I think the Rams have to consider making a big move for, for a left tackle. Um, and if not that, then I think they have to at least, you know, upgrade the interior of the offensive line. They have to, they have to do something. Because if you're going to have Matthew Stafford at this stage in his career, if you're going to have Cooper Cup, you know, probably at the tail end of his career, you need to protect them against Nick Bosa, and Uchenna Nuosu, I guess, is the best pass rusher on the Seahawks. Um, 
not a lot to deal with uh, the Cardinals, but they're probably going to draft Will Anderson or Jalen Carter in the draft. So they're probably going to take the best pass rusher available. You know, so if you're going to do that, if you're going to have Matthew Stafford back there and you're going to be going up against some of these teams, I think you have to continuously fortify this offensive line. And I don't feel comfortable with Joseph Nopum. So uh, you can you can have him. I don't even know if you can have him as, as option A because that would imply that you didn't get a better option A. So I know that you're a fan of A.J. Jackson, but at the end of the day, leaving aside his draft status, he missed all of last year. So it's really hard for me to feel comfortable there. What are your thoughts on left tackle? It's very fair. And whenever, you know, Matthew Stafford really wasn't that great at evading pressure last year. And a lot of, a very high degree, almost a lead leading figure of the pressures he faced turned into sacks. So the Rams have really struggled to develop a quick passing game and get the ball out of his hands quick. It's just not something that they've ever been good at really under Sean McVay. It's not necessarily a Matthew Stafford problem either. So uh, Jared Goff never really developed that either. It was all off play action. It was all down the field or intermediate. And, you know, maybe that's really a real criticism of Sean McVay when he's making his offensive coordinator decision this offseason. Maybe he can bring in someone who excels in that regard. Uh, I think you're going to see someone brought in that can really bring a lot of changes in the running game. But uh, that's something I would also look at is that quick passing attack get the ball out of his hands quick. And I'm a big proponent of only being average on the offensive line. If the incremental benefits compared to the resources you have to spend to become, you know, above average, good or X on the offensive line just doesn't pay enough dividends. You're better off having elite level skill players. And, you know, I don't, I would just like to see the Rams uh, lean into some positive regression in terms of health on the offensive line, keep both Noteboom and Jackson around, regardless of Noteboom's cap figure. Maybe you plug Noteboom in at left guard, and if something happens to Jackson, he can slide out to left tackle. But I don't really want to see the team spend resources that are so limited on this offensive line. I want to see it at edge rusher. I want to see it receiver, get some pass catchers, because this team last year was so devoid of anyone who could make an explosive play, who could really change the dynamic of the game. And that should be the focus of the soft season, bringing guys like that in. Great point. You know, it's it's just got to have- you know, it's the on one hand, the Rams, you know, they have to figure out how to open up cap space. On the other hand, uh, you know, as soon as they open it up, they got to immediately spend it. You know, there's ways to to bring guys in and, and their first year cap hit is a million or two million dollars or whatever. And you're pushing that those figures down the line. Certainly, like if I'm the Rams, I want to hear from Aaron Donald. I'm here for the next two years. And if you get that assurance from Aaron Donald, you can restructure his contract to save $20 million this year. But if you if you restructure his contract and save $20 million uh, against the cap, next year he has a guaranteed pretty much $41 million cap hit, um, and he'll be 33 years old. So that's a risk. It's also kind of like the position that the Rams put themselves in. Uh, you could do a restructure of Cooper Cup, who probably is a better bet, for the next two years, but he's also suffered two major injuries um, in the last four or five years or whatever. So uh, that's kind of a concern too. Um, You can do a post June 1st cut on Leonard Floyd, and then you'll have to get an edge rusher. You know, you still have to do that probably anyway, but if you cut Leonard Floyd, you're getting worse at run defense. You're you're losing a player with a lot of experience, a player who knows the defense and the, the teammates well and, you know, I think that's not worth the $22 million or whatever that he's going to be paid. But at the same time, 
you know, he's not an impact edge rusher uh, up at the level of guys who are getting paid that much money. So to me, that's another curious situation that the Rams are in. When your best defensive player, if not best all-around player of the last season was Bobby Wagner, a 30-plus-year-old inside linebacker praised for run defense and leadership, but not necessarily impacting the game in the same way as a Nick Bosa or in the same way even – you know, um, as like a sauce gardener, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting conundrum here for the Rams to figure it out. One potential situation that the Rams have to address no matter what is Jalen Ramsey. He's, uh, going to be 29 years old. You know, that's about the time that Stefan Gilmore and, and some Terrell Revis and Richard Sherman kind of started to fall off. Um, I don't know if there's any, uh, connectivity there you know or uh, if it's just a coincidence if Jalen Ramsey is built different if he's gonna last longer if he had a really good year in coverage this year he didn't seem to have quite the best year in coverage you know you can talk about Raheem Morris XYZ but I saw uh, Jalen Ramsey since last season get burned by faster receivers than him and there's just no surprise there to say that there are faster receivers in the NFL now than Jalen Ramsey is a cornerback and that's going to be an issue uh moving forward you know he's he was praised by PFF as the best run defender run defender and defender in the NFL but he's a quarterback you know that that's not really and and run defense it's not the same as pass defense Jalen Ramsey has a $25 million cap hit next season with a $17 million base salary, $5 million, which is guaranteed. If the Rams trade him, uh, they save $5.6 million. If they do the most possible of a restructure, then they save $10.5 million, JB. But again, like with Aaron Donald, you're basically locking him in for next season um, at a huge... $32 million cap hit. So I can't really see a, a restructure happening for, for Jalen Ramsey. I mean, you could add void years to that, spread it out. I'm sure like that's part of this that I'm not getting right probably, which is you can add void, void years. But in any case, you're you're pushing money down the line just to be able to build a better roster in 2023. So where do you stand with Jalen Ramsey right now? Because yes, he's one of the Rams uh, best players for the last three years. But will he be one of the best Rams players in the next two years? Can you afford 25 to $30 million for a cornerback who simply isn't as fast as the fastest receivers are fast? Well, he sure finished the season in a big way against the Seahawks, coming up with two interceptions. And it's not really a coincidence that he had a good game against the Seahawks because he was primarily lined up against DK Metcalf, a more bigger, more physical type receiver not the speed threat that you mentioned, like Jamar Chase in the Super Bowl, of course, that really beat Ramsey a couple of times. But when the Rams sure ask a lot of Ramsey in this defense. They don't really have a number two corner on the boundary. So Ramsey's always getting the best receiver. They're using him in a way on the inside that's going to get him targeted frequently. And I think in a lot of ways, it's made teams not afraid to look in his direction and with the ball. And it's just, you've been had mixed results with that plan. And he gets beat sometimes and they're on film and fans see it and it's disheartening and you don't always see the times where he blankets a receiver the ball doesn't get thrown his way the quarterback instead maybe pulls the ball down and gets sacked 
you know, that's not always things that we're watching out for in ways that whenever you see receivers running past Ramsey, he gets get beat on a double move and the ball sails over his head, something like that. So, you know, quarterback is an extremely difficult position to play. I think Ramsey's still at the top of his trade, one of the best in the league still. There's just only so many guys of his frame, of his stature, of his athletic profile, and someone who's done it as long as he has. Um, maybe you pick your spots with him, find better matchups, more favorable matchups, but you need a number two corner who can kind of, you know, hold his own, take some weight off Ramsey's shoulders. And it's important to also bring back Troy Hill, who's also a good run defender too, can play, has that inside outside versatility, even though Kobe Durant might play, eat into his playing time some in 2023 or take over that role in its entirety, but he's undersized. He struggles with tackling. He's not a good run defender like Hill is. So I think maybe you invest in the corner position and you bring out the best of Ramsey, pick your spots with him, find more favorable matchups. But, uh, you know, corner and edge rusher are two very expensive positions to find and needs to fill in free agency draft or trade. And the Rams pretty much need both this offseason with not a lot of money or draft picks to spend. It's going to be um, an interesting debate for Rams fans this year on the draft pick because, Though the Rams don't have a first-round pick, they did so poorly that their second-round draft pick will be higher than the Rams have drafted really since uh, the 2019 draft and then um, trading down and eventually getting Taylor Rapp, right? So they had the position in 2019 and then just kept trading down. Um, And with regards to uh, this pick, you know, there's there's going to be some general thought of let's just say that the Rams keep the pick. Uh, would you prefer that the Rams are going to get somebody who can help right away, which may be a less of a ceiling type player? So let's say the Rams draft a guard um, and you might get a pretty good guard out of that situation. We know that centers like Tyler Linderbaum and Creed Humphrey had immediate impacts, but to what degree will a center over Brian Allen help the Rams go from five and 12 to 12 and five, you know, um, it, but it could be a, an upgrade and it could be um, a, a higher floor with a lower ceiling on value. Or would you rather see the Rams take a guy who won't have any impact as a rookie, um, but might have a higher ceiling in the future, say a quarterback or you know, uh, maybe a, a young edge rusher or um, a player who could have an impact, say, two, three years down the line, which would bear out more fruit from a value standpoint and also um, potentially help out some of these financial issues if the Rams are able to replace an expensive aging player with a young one. Well, you've kind of mentioned that this contention window is open for the next two years. I think with that mindset, you have to find someone who can step in and contribute from day one. And some positions are more uh, prone to do that than others, right? Tight ends, you know, especially, you don't get a lot of contributions from rookies. Edge rushers, unless you're picking in the top 15 of the draft and getting some of the, the best prospects, uh, you're, you're not going to find someone who can step in in day one and really, you know, have a defensive rookie of the year type, you know, campaign. Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at receivers, maybe running backs or corners. And when I say receivers and corners, I'm looking at guys that over 205, 210 pounds, 
Uh, we're not talking about these, you know, 180 pound corners or receivers and someone of Tutu Atwell stature, even though he's a unicorn, he's one of a kind, completely undersized, but someone who has an elite profile who can turn into some, one of the best players, in his position, extremely high ceiling um, and maybe lean away from, you know, maybe these smaller guys who uh, maybe be able to contribute from day one, but you, you're looking for that elite profile. This is a, almost a first round draft pick we're talking about at the top of the second round. Uh, you should be able to find a day one starter, someone who can really has an athletic profile, a dynamic player can change the outlook of the game for you in a way that, you know, some of these role players you have that you've picked in late rounds of the draft have no chance of doing. You know, they're they're better football players than athletes for the most part. And the athletes that you have picked, like Robert Rochelle, Jacob Harris, they haven't really, you know, worked out very well for you. So that's what I'm looking for, even though I'd also be open to a quarterback. But that would just kind of suggest that maybe Sean McVay and the Rams are looking to build this for the long haul more than just for the next year or two. Yeah, it's an interesting, you know, situation that, um, you know, it's possible the Rams will do all their due diligence on all the players and all the, you know, and just feel like, yeah, we don't really, we're not going to take a a chance on a quarterback while we have all these needs. And they might be basing that off of a belief that somebody like Florida's Anthony Richardson or Kentucky's Will Levis will go in the first round. But I'm not so convinced of that yet. And maybe at the end of the day, they'll look at the end of uh, day one or when it gets down to the end of day one, and they'll be like, we didn't think this quarterback would be available. So we're going to do it, you know, because um, we've seen Les need get aggressive uh, with Jared Goff in the Jared Goff Carson Wentz draft. Um, and we know that Sean McVay has never developed really a, a quarterback of his own uh, design. And we know that uh, Matthew Stafford is 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 probably not built to have a, a super long career. So it's going to be a situation where you, you can't totally rule it out. And I think that that's, you know, that's totally fair for to for the Rams to uh, be looking at that. So um, it, it could happen, even though I know it would uh, upset part of the fan base and, and maybe even be too big of a risk. You know, maybe I would even say that based on what we just said about left tackle um, needs at quarterback cornerback needs for speed need for a second wide receiver um, a need for a better tight end a need for center guard you know you could take another running back linebacker safety uh, I think we kind of get the idea here you know there, there's so many different things that the Rams could use um, and I think that's one reason why I wrote last week you know this this is a team that needs more depth uh, and just more quality players, not more stars. So whatever cap space is opened up, you know, we can make an interesting list of players who the Rams lost in the last three years um, who might've been pretty good right now, like John Franklin Myers or Austin Corbett or um, even Josh Reynolds, you know? So I think that's kind of, um, why Sean McVay had to take a couple of days, uh, if not a week, and and just kind of go like, well, what are we going to do? And how do we address this? And how do we bounce back? Because I do think that the Rams have a good shot here based on, you know, having Stafford, Cup, McVay, possibly Donald, possibly Ramsey, possibly Wagner, um, and then just looking and seeing like, okay, we just need to be better than some of these pretty – 
mediocre teams make the playoffs and we'll see what happens. Um, and I think the NFL, like I've been saying for a long time, the NFL wants the Rams to be good. They don't like taking SoFi Stadium and, and the Rams Chargers off of prime time. They didn't like that. And they don't want to see it again. So uh, I, I believe that uh, there will be uh, collusion, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, that's about it, I think, for this episode of uh, Turf Show Times, the podcast, as uh, we're kind of getting some ideas here about coaches that are on the way out. Um, and JB will have plenty to say, I think, in the coming weeks, uh, if not maybe see within the next week or whatever, about coaches on the way in. You know, we've seen a lot of requests for other teams, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, but I, I haven't seen too many uh, for the Rams. And maybe that's just because uh, they were waiting off for McVay and, and sort of just sort of figuring out how clean this house is going to be. So um, we'll have plenty to talk about. Any final thoughts there? Yeah, I'm going to keep a close eye on Raheem Morris in this Colts job and see if he moves on. But uh, the Rams, when it, you could really use the third-round pick this year, not to boil it down to that, because Raheem Morris has been such a good defensive coordinator for you, a leader in that locker room and mentor for the players. But uh, you could really use a third-round pick this year and next year as you talk about rebuilding this roster and all the needs that you have. That's an extra Logan Bruss. That's an extra Kobe Durant uh, if you're talking about their picks from a year ago. So, and then on the offensive side, I hope they find someone who can really revamp this run game, maybe develop a quick passing game in a way that Sean McVay has kind of struggled in recent years, and we'll see which direction they go. That's it for this episode of Turf Show Times, the podcast. I'm Kenneth Arthur with me, JB Scott, and we will have plenty to talk about for the rest of this month and for the rest of next month and talking about coaching changes coming in and the Senior Bowl, which the Rams love to uh, scout, and then the Combine and getting prepared for this draft where the Rams should have a pretty good number of picks on day two and day three again. So hit subscribe, stay tuned, and come back next time for another episode of Turf Show Times, the podcast.